Let's peer behind the mask and explore what it means to disguise one's authentic self as we discuss how masking can negatively impact your autistic child. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everyone. Hello there. I always don't know what to say for the intro. Hello is always good. (laughs) Hello is good, right? Yeah, it works. So today we're going to be talking about masking, which is perfect because I feel like that's part of the reason why I struggle with the intro. There you go. So I'm sure that many of you have heard of the term masking before. It's pretty common in the autism community. Honestly, we're talking specifically about autistic masking because there are other kinds of masking, like there's ADHD masking, there's neurotypical masking, there's different flavors of masking, but we're going to be talking about specifically when it comes to masking and autism. And just in time for Halloween, no less. There we go. Since we don't really do (laughs) Halloween-themed things, (laughs) this Uh, is as close as you'll get to a Halloween episode. Autistic masking is also referred to as camouflaging, which makes sense because the behavior is similar to that of camouflaging in the sense that when an autistic person is masking, they're basically trying to either compensate either consciously or unconsciously for basically the behaviors of what would be considered neurotypical. We're kind of like hiding our natural autistic reactions to things and instead trying to mimic, you know, camouflaging like you would mimic your environment to fit in. You're essentially mimicking the social requirements of the situation to kind of camouflage or fit in. Well, as I say, so you're basically blending into the environment. Right. Like a chameleon. (laughs) There we go. Except not as adorable. Sure. So one of the things about masking is that oftentimes it's kind of a form of self-policing. Usually when somebody's masking, it's because we feel like whatever we authentically feel or what we would authentically do in that moment is probably not appropriate for that social situation. So it might be something that we're totally comfortable with and wouldn't bother us, but we've learned from exposure to social situations that last time I did this with a group of friends, it didn't go well. They reacted a certain way and I ended up having to leave. So this time I'm going to mask that trait and I'm not going to be my authentic self and say the comment that I normally would feel the impulse to say so that I don't get rejected by my peers. Just in general, we mask to make people not necessarily feel bad. So the example I'm thinking of is like, if you're hanging out with a group of friends and someone makes a joke, rather than everyone just kind of stand around being like, that was a terrible joke, you're terrible, (laughs) you kind of will like chuckle like, oh, that's a good one kind of thing. And then it's more socially acceptable to kind of like go along with it, kind of pretending like, oh, that was a like funny joke kind of thing. I mean, not at the extent of like you're rolling around on the ground or whatever, but at least like... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But at least like chuckle a little bit to make them feel like not bad that they can't tell jokes. Yeah. So like that's why I wanted to give the disclaimer at the beginning that there is such thing as neurotypical masking, which is the quote unquote normal range of masking where people do, you know, fake niceties and people will be polite when they don't actually mean something. And people do that just for like social etiquette reasons. But the major distinction between neurotypical masking and autistic masking is that an autistic person who's masking is typically doing it for reasons of avoiding 
avoiding being outed in a situation like in a group of friends or being harassed or bullied or perhaps just being called out. Typically, what results from that is miscommunications or misunderstandings. And sometimes that can lead to people getting aggressive with you or upset with you as the autistic person because you can essentially give off a vibe you don't mean to give or you might misunderstand or misread a situation and then say the wrong thing at the wrong time without really intending it. As a result, what a lot of autistic people have done is begun masking that authentic self in order to avoid that harassment or avoid those miscommunications because it's awkward, it's anxiety-inducing, you really don't like having all that attention, it's stressful, and you start to kind of get conditioned into this like high anxiety where you start to anticipate that things are going to go wrong before you've even walked into the room. A lot of people who are autistic resort to masking as an act of self-preservation, essentially. And the unfortunate part of that is that when you're masking that part of you, it ends up taking a toll on your self-esteem and more importantly on your self-identity because you're essentially suppressing your authentic self to people please in a sense. So is it kind of like walking on eggshells, like you're not really sure how you will be perceived to the world. So you're kind of like delicately like trying to navigate, like, can I say this and get away with it and like kind of go, go like that? It honestly feels a lot like not handholding, but coddling in a sense where you feel like you have to like coddle the situation all the time. Like reassure someone like, oh, yes, you are like great or whatever at telling a joke or something. I don't well, know. Well, not necessarily that, but it's like just like any interaction, like you know your own intent and you know what you mean to say to this person, but you don't know how they will interpret your intent or what you mean to say to them. And more often than not, it's misinterpreted. So you start getting this anxiety of, okay, I just want to say hello, but how do I say hello without? coming off like weird or aggressive or whatever it may be. And then all those thoughts kind of start racing in your mind. And then you're basically like, okay, I want to avoid the confrontation. I want to avoid the stress. I just want to get through this conversation without it being overwhelming. So like, what can I do to just kind of like get this over with, fly under the radar and not worry about it? And so that's where that masking piece comes in. So the masking piece or that camouflaging piece is basically when you start trying to mimic what you see other neurotypical people do in those similar situations to try to kind of fly under that radar and not stand out and try to appear as neurotypical as possible so that it doesn't kind of raise any alarms for people. Well, the funny thing is like, I think of, um, I'm not sure if I call myself a neurotypical, but- You're not. <laughs> but, but I'm just, <laughs> I mean, thank you. But but I'm, You could say holistic. Okay, holistic. Holistic means not Whatever, autistic. Something so you could still be neurodivergent, but just not autistic. Well, because I'm thinking like, okay, even from my perspective, like I don't necessarily try to think about trying to conform to what like the typical average person is doing. Because it's almost like you want to be taken as like an individual and having like unique ideas and thoughts. So you don't want to kind of like fade into the background. So it's almost like from your perception, you want to try and fit into kind of the masses. And then from mine, it's kind of like be unique, be different, try and be special, come up with a new idea kind of thing. So the problem in my experience has been that when you are autistic, 
from a very young age, whether or not you want to, you end up standing out and you end up the odd one out. So like when I was young, I definitely stood out. I was always kind of isolated in my corner. I was never really able to get into that group of friends. Elementary school, like just playing tag or building sand forts or whatever you may do as a child. I was never participating in that because it was always awkward and hard for me to engage in those activities. So I would be the kid who is sitting at the picnic table just reading during entire recess. I never played with my peers, really. I did try because I did yearn for those connections. But every time I tried, I I failed. And so I learned not to try anymore. So that's when I would kind of pull back and isolate. And then as I got older, I realized, oh, if I mask, people are more likely to engage with me. So I kind of learned that there's different techniques and things that I could do to kind of earn the love of people, essentially. So for me, it's more like, okay, I have the freedom to either kind of blend into the crowd or try and be unique and stand out. But it seems like from what you're saying, the freedom to do so is almost taken away from you. Yeah, I would say that there are two different kinds. That's why I say that autistic masking is very different from other forms of masking. So some of the things that an autistic person might do to try to pass as a neurotypical is forcing or faking eye contact during conversations. And this is something that I do. I can't really look at your eyes because I find them really distracting and hard for me to concentrate on what I'm saying and hard for me to understand what you're saying. So I have to look at people's mouths and I look at the mouth specifically because I have a little bit of that auditory processing stuff going on too. So if I look at your mouth, it makes it easier for me to understand what the words are that you're saying so I can understand you better. So that's something that I've done. And during like job interviews and stuff, I would always do my research of like, what do I need to do to get an interview? And I would kind of memorize all the steps of like, what is the best thing to do? I would actually watch videos on YouTube that were like how to follow body language. I was like, oh, they say mimic body language. If you do that, then they feel more comfortable with you and this and that. So I would go into an interview and I'd be observing the person interviewing me the whole time. And if they leaned in, I would lean in. And if they like made a joke, I would make a joke. If they leaned back, I would lean back. Like whatever they would do, I would kind of mimic. And in retrospect, I didn't realize because I wasn't diagnosed yet. But in retrospect, I didn't realize that a lot of my social interactions of this like mimicking was an autistic masking trait. Now, there is a difference, though, because neurotypicals naturally do this. People do actually mimic behavior when they feel connected to the person. It's like the psychological phenomenon. But the difference is with an autistic person, it's not natural for us. We are actually watching what you do. We're analyzing it and like processing it like a computer. And then we are taking action on that to proactively mimic it. So it's not instinctive for us. Yeah, I can see why that would be an annoying hot mess where you're kind of like forced to do something almost against your will a little bit because like you do want society to like accept you. So you feel like you have to do that. But then at the same time, I don't know, it's like weird, like you're forced to do it, but you don't want to, but you have to in order to be accepted. (laughs) Right. And like parts of masking will be like the forcing or faking eye contact during conversations, like we mentioned. But it can also be like imitating facial expressions or like if they smile, I smile sort of thing, imitating gestures. But those are just like the physical aspects of it. One example I can give is I remember when I was young, I was going camping, kind of camping. I don't know what you would call it. It was like a camp, a summer camp. And it's in Spanish. So I don't know what the English translation is for it, but it's called Gaminata, which is like hiking club, kind of. Hiking camp? 
kind of. (laughs) (laughs) And so what we were doing is we were basically like hiking through a river. And it was kind of that like teenage time where you are, you know, very interested in boys and all that stuff, you know. And so at the end of this camp, it's like a week long camp. And at the end of this camp, there's this dance that guys can ask girls to. It's kind of like a homecoming dance type thing. So, you know, all the girls at the time are like, oh, the goal is by the end of this week, you have to have a date for that dance. That's like what everyone talks about, which I, at the time, didn't really care about the social norms, but I was like, well, this is a thing everyone else is doing, so I guess this is a thing I should be doing. And so we were hiking through the river, and I remember my cousin who was with me in the summer camp, she was hiking up front. There was these two guys that were in our group that were kind of attractive and we were interested in. And so I remember that she like slipped on these rocks, and when she slipped on the rocks, one of the guys that she was interested in helped her up, started like kind of escorting her through the river, you know, like knight in shining armor type of thing, you know, to a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Nowadays, that's just being polite. But I remember at the time processing it. I like, I remember watching that and thinking, hmm, she did this and it got him to do that. Is that how that works? And so I remember that during that hike, I purposefully started slipping because I thought stage like a like an incident. (laughs) Yes. Like I was trying, I was purposefully making myself slip because I thought that if I did that, that one of the guys would come and help me. But like, it's like things like that where I started seeing human interactions and like observing them. And I was like, okay, what did they do in that situation? I'm going to do what they did. And my brain would say, oh, that must mean logically the same thing will happen. And I didn't understand that that's not how humans work. Society and communication and relationships are way more complex than that. I saw it as very like, like input output, like you yes. input this equation. And that's why I said that it's kind of like a computer thing, because it's kind of like you're programming your brain as an autistic. You're basically observing all this human social information and every single thing that you observe, you're like downloading into your, your database. So it's like every time you're watching something, you're memorizing it and downloading it, you're memorizing it and downloading it. And then in the future, if you see that situation, you're like mining through your data files in your brain and you're like, where's that file about what to do when you want a guy? Oh, yeah, that one pull that one out oh slip you know like that's kind of how it seems like the least effective way to like do something at least for me i have like different types of scenarios like oh okay if there's a break-in into our house what do you do essentially so you have like different scenarios but it's not like i say oh what happens if they break in through that window what happens if they break in through that like it's not like you have a different scenario for every possibility under the sun Bingo. And that is exactly why I'm trying to explain why masking is so detrimental to autistic people. So imagine that just that one scenario, how many of these like files and folders you'd have to develop for every potential outcome for that. So it's really mentally draining because you're constantly trying to develop different repertoires. You're trying to memorize conversations of they said this during this interaction and it got them that response. Therefore, I need to memorize to say that if I want this. And so it's this constant copy pasting, copy pasting, copy pasting into your database. And over time, that database gets massive. And so whenever you're trying to go out into the world and socialize and partake into society, it takes a long time to go through all those files and pull out the right file. So that's why half the time I get like a brain fritz and I'm like, oh, what am I supposed to do or say? And it's because my database is too full and I can't get to that folder fast enough. And that's also why sometimes I might say the wrong thing at the wrong time because I pull out the wrong file and then I'm like, ooh, that wasn't the right one. So basically it works as long as you go to a place and interact with people who've never heard like the standard pickup line. (laughs) It's kind of. I mean, (laughs) 
it's not really no, like I'm, a I mean, obviously, right, 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 right. But yeah, well, the other thing is that masking doesn't just have to be physical gestures. It doesn't have to be just social interactions. And it's not just about scripting conversations. So it is those things. And I do have kind of like pocket phrases that I know to keep with me in like small talk situations. Like if I'm going to pick up our girls from therapy and there's other parents there, I have like those go-to lines that I always use. But it can be a little more than that too. It's kind of putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation to appear normal or to maintain friendships or try to basically keep yourself from being ostracized either in social society or like even in the workplace. For me, in the workplace, I mask a lot. And I learned that through my time in college because when I was trying to be more my authentic self, I got bullied. I got ridiculed. Like people basically made fun of me. And so in order to be taken more seriously or for like people to basically respect you as a person, you kind of have to act a certain way because they won't respect your authentic self. Things like eye contact in a conversation. Like if you are looking away at a job when your boss is talking to you, they're going to think you're being disrespectful. So like things like that, I've kind of had to mask just so that I don't really get fired or reprimanded or something like that. So basically just trying to like fly under the radar for the most part, not to raise like suspicion. Right. And so another part of that can also be like disguising any sort of like stimming behaviors. So for me, I have a lot of stimming behaviors that I do at home. And I think you've probably noticed that outside of the home, my stimming gets a lot more discreet. Like when we're sitting at church, you don't see me fiddling with my clothes. I just start like squeezing your hand and stuff instead. That's true. Yeah. So like, that's what I do. Like when I'm in the workplace and things like that, I try to find a different parallel stimming behavior that'll still get me the sensory input I need, but it's not as obvious as like me, like playing with my putty in front of everyone. Well, as I say, like at church, like sometimes like you'll bounce or whatever. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm just as excited for Jesus as you. <laughs> but to be fair, I time it perfectly with the music. So everyone just thinks I'm super into worship. That's true. And for the record, I didn't get to go to these camps. I went to baseball camp and there was no dance at the end of baseball <laughs> camp because it was all like guys yeah so. but you still got to slap a bunch of butts so same difference <laughs> <laughs> that's true no just kidding so basically there's a lot of different forms of masking but overall the general theme is you're essentially forcing to camouflage or hide your authentic autistic self at your own expense you're basically doing it at a loss a net loss and that net loss can be like you're not exposing yourself to the stimming behaviors that you would need to self-regulate in like a stressful situation, or maybe you're going through sensory overload and you're not simming to help get rid of that anxiety. But it might also be because you want to, in the workplace, maybe you want to meet certain job qualifications, or maybe there's a, some sort of risk to job loss, and you are basically trying to appear as similar to your peers so that you don't stand out and potentially get overlooked for that promotion, for example. Now, if we're talking about younger kids, if we're talking about our kids, a lot of the reasons that you will mask and that I masked as a child was really to avoid being bullied and to avoid standing out. Because as a child, you really, really notice when you stand out. And I did not want to stand out at all. I think for our kids, I mean, since they're so young, they are just barely, I mean, they're both in uh, pre-K. 
So, I mean, they haven't really gotten into the peer pressure or just like social settings as much as like when you got bullied. But I do see like with some of the adults for like our girls, they'll mention little things about make sure like you're looking me in the eye. And I kind of like cringe because I'm like, that's not a high priority for like me and like my girls where I want to teach them like, oh, always look in my eyes when I'm talking kind of thing. And I mean, for like them, their stimming behaviors, it's not like we are holding their hands down if, if our oldest wants to flap or anything like that. I mean, we let her be like our her authentic self as much as possible. Right. And I mean, that one really bothers me about the eye contact because I cannot concentrate on what you're saying if I'm looking in your eyes. So I can only imagine how they're feeling because I know, especially the youngest one who's like super ADD, there's no way she's able to process that information. That's one of the things that we do is just free the stem. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, as long as it's not harmful, we're all about letting them stem and just be their authentic selves. There's also a bunch of negative effects to masking. And that's basically why we are such proponents for allowing people to be their authentic selves and allowing autistics to feel comfortable, especially at home with you as the parent, as like that safe space to be their authentic self. And this is for several reasons. One, as I mentioned, is masking is really, really exhausting and it can lead to fatigue. I personally was diagnosed with chronic fatigue and it really takes a toll on you. Masking really does take a whole lot of effort. I think people underestimate how much brain power it takes to basically do mental gymnastics while trying to have a, have a conversation. Like that example I gave before, it's like try to do calculus while also trying to figure out what answers to give to people about questions that you don't know what they are. Meaning these are questions that you might know what the actual literal words are, but you don't understand the societal and social constructs to them. So you don't really know how you should be answering and you have to do all that like mental file finding to find the appropriate response. So that's really exhausting. It takes a lot of effort. The other thing is it can also change your self-perception or self-identity. Oftentimes what happens with a lot of autistics, especially the ones that don't find out until later in life because they don't have an opportunity to stop masking at an earlier stage of life, is that they start to lose their self-identity. Like they don't really know, okay, what is my true sense of self? I've been masking for so long and kind of playing the role of what other people want me to be, always trying to figure out what's the next thing I'm supposed to say in order to kind of meet these societal needs. Now I've lost all concept of self. I don't know, is that what I would have said if I was allowed to say something else? Would I have chosen to eat that meal if I knew that I was able to pick whatever I wanted? I picked that example because one of my strangest masking situations that I didn't notice I was masking, but in retrospect, I super duper was, was when I went out on that picnic with my coworkers. Remember I told you about that? I went out on this like business luncheon and we went on this like outdoor picnic thing at like a restaurant. And I basically had this kind of like social anxiety that comes with masking where we all went to the table. There was like 20 of us. And I instinctively just started observing what everyone else was doing because I felt very socially awkward. And I was like, okay, what do I do? So when they sit, I sit. And then as they were all looking through the menus, I was kind of trying to figure out what they were ordering. And then I was like, okay, two people ordered this. That's the majority. I'm going to order what they ordered. So I would just order what they ordered. I remember I ordered a burger and the burger came to me and I like my burgers medium well to well. And it came to me almost rare. And food texture is a big thing to me, which is like sensory disgusting to me. 
And because I was so socially uncomfortable with the situation, I just forced myself to kind of eat it because it felt too weird to ask for them to replace it because I was having anxiety about this is really going to make everybody look at me and there's going to be like this unwanted attention. And I just want to like sit in here and like fit in with everyone. And I just want to do what they're doing. And so like, that's a perfect example of how masking has happened in my life, even in adulthood, where I don't really notice I'm doing that until well after the fact. Well, the good news in that situation is at least they didn't spit in your food because like, you sent it back to the kitchen. Like it's always like the the joke, like, oh, if you send food back to the kitchen, it's coming back with something else on it. So at least you're clear there that it wasn't tampered with. Well, yeah, because I, I didn't send it back. Right. Yeah. That's what I was saying. So you, you struggled up front rather than To never, be honest, never though, knowing. it probably would have tasted the same to me because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was not enjoying that burger. Um, but yeah, so that's like a, a real life example of like just how far sometimes we can go with this is like, I didn't pick the thing I wanted to eat. I picked what other people were eating. I felt really uncomfortable the whole time and I would have preferred to be anywhere else. I'd rather eat my lunch at my desk in my office and not have to worry about that and just enjoy my meal. But I feel like when I go out in these public groups, I feel like I have to put on a performance where I'm like, oh, okay, I have to play the role of, you know, coworker who does lunch with her friends. And so I'm like, how do they do this? Oh, okay. Did you get the role though? I think I did not get the role, but I did get called for a second audition. Hey, there you go. That's something. (laughs) And so, like, this game, basically, of camouflaging can basically lead to increased stress and anxiety. For some people, it can get to depression and autistic burnout, which is kind of like that rock bottom where you just can't handle things anymore. And unfortunately, that means that there is an increased risk of having lifetime suicidality. Like, people basically feel disconnected from themselves and it can lead to that lack of fulfillment and just like feeling so alien in this world that it can lead to that depression. It can lead to suicide. And so that's why it is so important that we allow our children to be their authentic selves and not feel like they have to mask their autistic traits. But I mean, there are things that we're able to do as parents. I mean, number one, we're able to kind of educate both ourselves and others as it comes up and kind of let them know kind of what the situation is with masking. And then the other thing is, as our kids grow, really encourage them to be their authentic selves and let them be who they are rather than trying to hide behind a mask just to please the general population because no one's going to be happy doing that. I mean, people are miserable doing that. Right. A lot of people who are masking might even refuse their accommodations to not stand out. That's another risk is your child might struggle more academically. They might struggle more at the first job if they are kind of like, no, 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 I don't want to ask for accommodations because I don't want to stand out. I don't want people to know that I'm autistic. I would just encourage letting them know like, hey, it's okay to be autistic. It's okay to have these accommodations. These accommodations allow you to be at an equal playing ground to everyone else. Don't feel bad to need that. Don't feel bad that that's something that is helpful to you because it's not a detriment to you. It doesn't make you any less of a person. It doesn't make you less smart or less valuable. Just accept that these accommodations are part of autism and that it's okay to have them. And one that I keep having that keeps popping up in my mind, the world is already broken. So basically to try and mask yourself to a broken world is essentially looking at a broken mirror, trying to put on makeup or something, make yourself more appealing to the broken world. And it's like, well, there's already so many problems out there. Why are we trying to mask ourselves to fit in with this chaos? 
I definitely encourage you as parents to help your child on that journey of unmasking. As an adult, now finding out late with my diagnosis, it is a lot harder to unmask as an adult after 30 plus years of masking your authentic self and now trying to peel back the layers and figure out, wait, who am I authentically? I've been masking for decades. I don't even know who I am anymore. It's a lot harder to undo the damage and rebuild something new than it is to start from the beginning when your child is young and kind of nip it in the bud while they're young and allow them and nurture them to be their authentic self from that youthful stage. Because that means that they will get to forego this entire late life process of having to basically undo all the damage that was done and rebuild. You can essentially start from scratch at this point in time, give them like a fresh start and start building their self-esteem, building their self-identity, and then they don't even have to worry about that. And then hopefully avoid most of this as best you can. Yeah. But I will also mention that despite knowing all this, I cannot fully unmask all the time. It's just, for me, it's not doable realistically. I've learned to be able to unmask parts of me around certain people, places, but it is very, very difficult and challenging for me to feel comfortable enough or safe enough to unmask fully in like work environment and things like that. So for me, this is still a work in progress, but I am working towards that. And so again, that's why I say it's probably best to work on this when they're young so that they don't have to go through this like process of now peeling everything back and trying to get comfortable with like this new lifestyle. And with that said, we're going to wrap up this episode here. Hopefully you've learned a bit about masking the negative impacts and how you can help your child out. And we encourage that you help them be their authentic selves so that they can live the best life that they can. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. To review, we defined masking as camouflaging one's authentic autistic self by controlling autistic behaviors or interests in order to appear more neurotypical and avoid negative social consequences. We also noted how masking can include physical behaviors, such as suppressions of stimming or mimicking neurotypical mannerisms and speech. Lastly, we discussed how masking can ultimately lead to autistic burnout, depression, and even suicidal ideation. Thus, it's crucial that we as parents embrace and encourage our children to be their authentic selves and provide a safe space to unmask. Join us next week as we chat about the unique challenges of autism within the workforce and education system. We take a closer look at autism in action and answer questions such as, what are some career paths that may work well for my autistic child? What should I do if my autistic child is struggling at school? And what accommodations are available to my child in the workplace and school? This is Embracing Autism.